hey, whatever it is that you're chasing, probably time to figure it out. You're in the back half of your 20s, Ralph. That's all that I'm saying. I don't know, I'm just tired of people congratulating themselves for settling on second place. Well, what are you doing that's so great? I, mean, I love you to death, Ralphie, but this better not be your first place either. What's the occasion? Uh, Maggie and I are going speed dating after work. I have a lot of cats. <laughs> a lot of cats. A lot of cats. <laughs> this is what you do when you're not here? Fan fiction writing at the community center? Ralph, have you read much science fiction? No, but I've watched quite a bit of it. Look, I just want you to ask yourself what it is you want. Then you've got to at least fake like you're chasing it, even if you aren't. Still any luck in there? Uh, no. I don't think I have enough room in my house for that many litter boxes. She's just what you've been needing. You might wanna... Look, I know you guys think you're being helpful right now, but you're not. You wanna get out of here? <laughs> Do what? So you two like a thing now? What's up? I don't know that I'd say that. Um, things still aren't really that defined. Well, does she know that? It's come up. You know, Ralph, Chet really did a number on you. What are you doing, Ralph? I have a chance, a good chance to quit being the guy who won't figure it out. Now here, bloggers wanted for search engine optimization. Here's your client list. And I mean, it's fun, but it's unsustainable. Eventually, I gotta grow up and do something. It's gonna be good. Proud of you. You're really pulling things together. Hello and welcome. I'm Douglas Bowles, and this is 42 Minutes, a production of SyncBook Radio and the SyncBook.com, a weekly conversation with the interesting artists and thinkers of our day. You can find us online at 42minutes.com, and you can reach us by sending a message to mail at 42minutes.com. You can also follow our tweets at Sync42 and at SyncBook. Today, I have the pleasure of almosting it. Well, that is, hosting here in SyncBook Studios West, the director and actress from the film by that same name, Almosting It, which has its debut June 24th at the Egyptian Theater in Boise, Idaho at 6.30 p.m. Tickets for this event can be found at almostingit.brownpapertickets.com, and it is going to be an event. Prior to the screening, Edmund Dantes, who composed the film's soundtrack, will play a live set accompanied by a small dance performance choreographed by Lauren Edson and performed with Ballet Idaho's Daniel Ojeda. All attendees will receive a CD of the film's soundtrack, and proceeds from the event will benefit the Make-A-Wish Idaho Foundation. Almosting It, a film written and directed by Will Fontagen, relates the story of a dissatisfied young sci-fi writer who works to better his life while trying to navigate his relationships with three very different women. He has the help of a retirement home playboy portrayed by Lee Majors. The film was shot in Boise, Idaho and features a cast of almost all Idaho residents and a crew that has ties to the Gem State. The film also features Jessica Sulakowski, Will Fontagen, Cassandra Lewis, Annie Bullo, Jane Marrow, and Terry... It's Terry Kaiser and Annie Bullough. Okay, good. <laughs> And it is produced by an all-Idaho crew. Today we have the pleasure of sharing 42 minutes with director 
Will Fontagen and actress Jane Merrow, who played alongside Peter O'Toole in The Lion in Winter and for which she received a Golden Globe nomination in 1968. More information about the film can be found on its Facebook page, facebook.com slash almostingit, where you can also find more details about the June 24th debut event. It really is an honor to have you both here today. How are you guys doing? Doing great. 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 Thank you for having us. Yeah. You That's bet. Terrific. You bet. And then, what did you guys think of that storm last night? That Wild. was crazy. <laughs> I, uh, I'm not a fan of rain at all. Um, and so whenever that kind of comes pouring down like that, I'm never... Oh, I love it. I absolutely love it. And funnily enough, thunderstorms are often pre, pre, uh, not proceed, yeah, preceded is the right word, uh, events in my life that have been quite significant. Oh, and funnily enough, there was a massive thunderstorm on the night before I did my test for the lion in winter. So I've loved them ever since. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so let's, I mean, our audience is really interested in synchronicity. Right. Do you have it? You do. I do believe in it, yeah. Yeah, and then, so do you have, like you said, thunderstorms are a synchronicity for you. Yeah, Um, yeah. So I I love them. I You know, I know they're scary and you shouldn't be out and you might get struck by lightning and all that malarkey, but I I just like them. Did you guys see the news? There was a Napa guy. I saw that, yeah. He got struck by lightning a week ago, Memorial Day weekend. It went in his head and out his back or something, and he's still alive. Oh, wow. So he believes in it. You <laughs> <laughs> should go buy a Powerball, too. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Okay, yeah. so w- you are the writer and the director. Correct. And the producer. Correct. And the star. Correct. And the distributor. You the are. Distributor. No, no, no Will is. <laughs> and wears, the distributor. He wears many hats. I'm so wow. impressed. And you're from Boise, Idaho. I am from Boise, Idaho, yeah. And which Boise, Idaho high school did you go to? I went to Boise High. Graduated you did? Graduated in 2007, right. Okay. Wow. And so when did you conceive of this story? So the origin of the story actually comes from a short story that I wrote in college. I was actually an English major at the University of Nevada. Um, and I wrote a 35-page short story for one of my creative writing workshops. Originally, the idea was to develop into a 90-page novella. Never really came all the way to fruition uh, when I decided it was time to do my first feature. Dug through some of my old writings, picked this one, thought it seemed like one I could produce at the level I knew I'd be producing my first feature at, and started developing it. Okay, so you got a degree in English. Correct. But then how, how do you become like so inside the film world that you can make something like this happen in, in Boise, Idaho? Um... Yeah, film has always been the goal, and uh, I had heard through a number of interviews that I'd uh, read or seen from some of the greats um, that if you really want to direct, you need to know how to write, you need to know how to tell a story. So that was sort of my inspiration for getting an English degree, and uh, all the film stuff was sort of supplemented by you know time spent um, working the news beat. I was a news reporter for a while, um, shoot my own little short films, a couple of internships along the way, so... Okay, so all I've seen is the trailer. Did you? Are you also the editor? Um, I edited the trailer and I did the first assembly of the film. But I do have a, an editor um, who was working on the project and has done some great things for it. So okay, yeah, he's the official editor. Because the the trailer is really tight as far as like that's an art form in itself. But that too. was very difficult to do. Yeah, because um, <laughs> you like you're hitting all the the same moments, but it's such a condensed storytelling right media. Right, and you know it's kind of fun because. Uh, 
I have a past record of kind of getting long-winded with my writing and with my films. Um, the short film I did right before this one was way too long, 20 minutes. Uh, then I started working with my mentor, and he put me through a series of exercises to see how much I could cut it down and still have it be an encapsulated story. And eventually, I got a cut of the film that was five minutes out of an original 20 oh, minutes. Okay. And uh, you know, he said, this is obviously too short now. Go ahead and bump it back up to about 12. You know, I think... Uh, any story can be taken down to its roots if you know what the real message is. So it's yeah. kind of a fun exercise. Yeah, when you get to like the archetypes. Right. It all starts with a script. For, as from an actor's point of view, it's the old story. If it ain't on the page, it ain't on the stage. <laughs> <laughs> this is fascinating. You just, how did he get in touch with you? I mean, so I, I did that. Well, what am I doing here to start with? I'm yes. here because of family. My son. It, it, it was born in California. I lived in, in L.A. for 20-odd years. Okay. He was born down there. And then when my marriage broke up, he came up here with his father, and he met his wife here and stayed. And then I was living back in England, and he said, can you help out with the grandchildren a bit? And I said, yeah, all right. Okay. How long for? And he said, well, a year. And this is the third year. So I'm kind of now based here very much, with hopping back there as much as I can. And so what do you um, think of Boise after three years? Well, it's interesting. I mean, to be honest with you, when I, I came here, I thought, lovely place, big contrast from London, you know, which I'm used to. Um, but, I, but I had to find something else to do within my own industry uh, to keep myself kind of sane, apart, no disrespect from <laughs> just watching my grandchildren. Sure. Um, and I joined an organization, uh, which is for, for media people here, called the IMP, the Idaho Media Professionals, met a few people, and, and started to continue operating within the industry. I won't, I won't tell you about my side, because this is Will's, this is Will's gig, as they oh, say. No, but what's there. fascinating is for um, your first film... You have a lot of what would high caliber actors. Absolutely, absolutely. You have Lee Majors. You have Jane Marrow. Is that am I pronouncing right. it correct? That's okay, exactly right. And and uh, Kaiser Terry I, Kaiser. Yeah. I want to say Kisser the way it's spelled. Right. Yeah. yeah um, you know, I had drinks the other night with my my DP, my cinematographer, and uh, he made a similar comment that just the, the sheer range, because we had, you know, the TV veteran who, you know, has probably read more lines than are in the entire Encyclopedia Britannica, and we've got the classically trained British actress, right. we've got Terry, who's very much a physical character actor, comedian. And he's best known for... Best known for his role in Weekend at Bernie's, playing Bernie. The Bernie. The you know, and then aside from that, the rest of the leads uh, were essentially non-actors. You know, we pulled Jess out of Valley, Idaho. Um, Cassandra Lewis, uh, she's a local musician. Um, I got into acting sort of by accident, just, you know, I needed people to be in my short films, and so I hopped in front of the camera. And, uh, you know, eventually when we added Annie Bulow, you know, she's, she's a stage actress, and she's, she's pretty well trained as well. So it's kind of across the board, a little bit of everything. And so getting the opportunity to work with that many different acting types on the first gig was definitely, you know, a real treat. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's, it's fabulous, because I, no, I had no idea. I, Eric Gilbert shared it. You know, hey, go to this thing, and I'm like, what is this thing? And that's the first time I, I heard or saw anything about this, and and then I watched the trailer, and it took me a second to realize that I knew all the places. It's a great 
place to film. I mean, I, I, the, the, loca the weather's perfect, the light is fantastic here, as I think a cinematographer will tell you, won't you? Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, the locations are very manageable. I mean, if you try and shoot in a big city or so, it's a nightmare. It's very expensive, and then you've got to have all the police organising crowds and people like that, you know, to get out of the way or spend a lot of money buying a location yeah. or renting a location. So this is a good place to film. And I sense that the industry is beginning to, to, to really flourish here. And it's exciting. Yeah, I, I sense the same <laughs> thing. But there was the movie called The To-Do List that was set in Boise, but they did very little filming. They, they didn't shoot any here, which I think was a real disappointment. Because, um, you know... They had the classic California mountain in the background... Right. It's supposed to be Bora Pool. Right, and right. It's like, well, that's not there's, there's right. There's a little bit of B roll, and I know this because the uh, co production company on our film, they shot some of the B roll for that film, you know, the look down from the depot onto the city and some of those establishing shots. But yeah, you know, they show quote unquote Big Bun in the film, and you know, it's, it's not Big Bun. But you know, it's, it's fun that they, they based it here, but I. I Forgive me, I don't know the film. It's a <laughs> comedy. Yeah. Yeah. I think. The writer and producer, or maybe the director, she's from here. Yeah. So it's based on her experience growing up in Boise, but then she's married to Bill Hader, and it's one of these American semi-raunchy summer comedy films. Oh, right. Has it, has it been ago. released, or is it coming out? Yeah, no, it came out Two, a couple of years ago. Yeah. Okay. yeah. <clears throat> but so it's interesting because uh, I just did an interview with a guy who really did a lot of research on Twin Peaks, and one of the things, the authenticity of Twin Peaks, the pilot was, it was set in the place that it's filmed. Mm -hmm. So you have this, this, the actors all feel like they're in the authentic space. And so is this really, I mean, do you say this is Boise, Idaho in the film, or does that matter? We tried to avoid ever saying that, just because I think that risks isolating an audience. Um, okay. You know, if it's everywhere USA, people can kind of feel a little bit more attached to it. Um, and then there's that sort of special nod for the folks that are from Boise that they'll right. see it and they'll have Like the record exchange. Exactly, yeah. And the zoo. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've heard from some other folks uh, in the industry that it's kind of going off of that shooting in, in your location. It's, it's really refreshing, too, for a lot of people that are so used to somewhat seeing the same sort of locations that are in a lot of films that are shot in L.A. or, you know, in the, there's a lot of character, you know. Um, films are about characters and I think your locations and your settings can be characters themselves. And then sh you mentioned um, that because Boise is smaller, it's not such a nightmare to secure locations. Oh, yeah. I, I'm going to jump in. I've been making short films as well. Because I said, I said I had to find something to Sure. Do. But I've been making short period gothic horror films based on the great classics. And I had to make them in Boise because I you know, had a babysitting duty every week. <laughs> <laughs> and I couldn't go away and shoot them anywhere else. But they were period films, and we found locations that we could use in Boise. We've used the, the, the West, you know, for one of the films. We've used a downtown uh, boarding house, uh, the uh, Basque boarding house for a period, you know, for one of the period films. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, 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 it's here. If you want to look for it, it's here. You can, you can create anything here. And as I say, it's manageable. And there's some really good people in the industry, some very, very talented people, who, because of the challenge, well, I'm, I, it goes without saying here, yeah, I'm sort of mouth open with him because I jaw dropped. <laughs> <laughs> um, when I first met Will, 
Um, I don't know how you got in touch with me. I think. Yeah. I said, um, Should we meet for coffee? And I said, mm, right. Give <laughs> 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 me the script. <laughs> I've sent a lot. And of you, you, so getting a script, you can tell if. Oh yeah, very much so. And and so his script worked. You could his say. His script had yeah. I thought, hmm, this is this works. This is a good script. So uh, yeah, I wanted to meet you, and you showed me the short film that you'd made in Germany, and I was impressed. And um, so we met and, and talked, and, and I, I wanted to do actually a part that he didn't want me for, which was, you cut it out. But eventually it was a cougar. Ah. <laughs> much more fun to play. What didn't really dialogue, you? but it would be you know, in a bar and you know, yeah. trying to pick up this young guy. Much more fun. But you didn't want me for that. <laughs> you wanted me for something a little bit bigger. Um, so what what yeah. what role do you play? What is your character's name? A character called Gladys, uh-huh. who is a sort of having. It's alluded that she's having some fling with Lee Majors okay. in the in retirement home, and apparently a lot of this goes on. And did you know that AIDS is now becoming a big problem with older people? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And this, I think, all comes back to uh, Viagra, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> the guys are being able to sort of, you know. So apparently there's a lot of sex that goes on in, in, in retirement homes. And it's, in, it's, it's implied, stated, whatever you will, that I and Lee Majors are having a thing. And it's interesting because Lee and I worked together years ago on The Six Million Dollar Man. I did... Uh, two episodes of that. Um, one was a, a sort of double episode with like three episodes. So it was kind of fun to see him again and, and work with him. How did you get Lee Majors? Um, Does would, he have a Boise connection? No, he doesn't. And uh, I wish I had a sexier story for it because everyone's kind of expecting the whole, you know, I saved this cat from a burning tree and in return he agreed to be in my movie. Um, but no, it was purely, uh, you know, there's a process for all this stuff. You know, I, and it's something that I like to try and encourage my peers to do, is that, you know, these, these actors, they want to work. And I think it's unfortunate so many people see them as unapproachable because they're completely approachable. And um, they want to keep doing what they love. You know, who wouldn't? And so we put the offer into Lee. I sent uh, this copy of the script and our offer to his agent. The agent liked the offer. Lee liked the script. And we had a deal, you know, more or less within 48 hours. Um, of, of putting it how in. How did you? How did you get uh, funding for this? So I funded the film through uh, sort of an old school method. Not many people are doing it as much anymore. But uh, equity investment in the film's LLC. So I essentially started it like a small business and then sold shares. Um, and you know, it's it's tough to find people that are willing to do that because it is a very risky endeavor. Um, and you know, at the end of the day, I, I talked to a lot of folks about this too. You know, you're not so much selling people on on the film itself as much as you and your ability to kind of carry this through from start to finish um so you know there's outside investors on the film um none of them have any real you know creative say in the whole project but you know they're there and they believe in me and they've done a lot to help this happen so a lot of coffee meetings a lot of sit downs and a lot of selling so yeah I'm yeah. doing the same thing actually right now to get my films together as one feature and I'm going the same route as, as well. Oh. It's a sensible way to do it because it's a professional way of doing it. And It seems like uh, a lot of people are doing Kickstarters. Or, right. Yeah, I, think, I mean the thing I don't like about Kickstarter is that you're approaching people you know and I don't really want to go to my friends and say, hey, do you want to put $100 into this thing? You may never, it just doesn't feel right. 
it's not enough money. It's also unsustainable, in my yeah. opinion. Um, you know, one, I, I did a Kickstarter to, <laughs> to fund my trip to Germany, and it, again, it was the same thing. I noticed that the majority of the money I got was from people I had directly contacted anyway. The odds of it just going viral and strangers funding you are very small. Um, but on top of that, you know, you're already looking at a 7% loss once Amazon and Kickstarter take their cut, and then yeah. you've got to pay for the incentives, and so you're already losing money off the top. You know, we reached a point where we, um, you know, needed some more money into the film, and so I went back to my investors, and we, you know, just everyone agreed to up the price per shares, and that brought in a 15% influx into the film. If you do that with Kickstarter, you know, and you realize you need more money, where do you go from that point? That 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 pool isn't already existent for you. Plus, on the back side of this, it's very difficult to, to turn a profit off a film, but in the event that we do turn a profit, those investors are there for the next one around. You know, you don't have to keep restarting from zero every time. I think this is a changing face of the film industry as well. I mean, the one thing about the internet, and I started my films off for the web, but there really isn't enough money in there, you know, as a return on that. Um, the, the, the whole industry is changing so much. You're either getting the huge blockbusters, and then there's this big gap which has to be filled, which companies like Netflix and, and other companies are filling. But, but I admire Will because what he's doing is he's actually getting his film out into a, into a real theatre first. And most films should be seen on a proper screen. You know, okay, lots of people are getting a big screen in their room, like, you know, yeah. you're all there. But it's still an experience to go to the theatre. Uh, but it's very difficult to distribute a film into theatres, and you're doing it, you know, yourself, and, and it, what he's doing is amazing. But there's a big, what, big growing gap for actors, for technicians, for everybody in this industry, which the studios have completely abandoned. Mm. You know, they're just into the blockbusters, event movie, it, where I, I'm, I'm using the word twice now, but they're big movies, which is it's sort of all or nothing, you know, blockbuster movies, and... For actors, it's really boring to be in. Yeah. You know, blue screen acting, I have to tell you, is the most boring thing to do. Um, and and uh, the parts aren't interesting. The scripts are dross. And <laughs> it's just, you know, e even our television $6 million man scripts were you know, more interesting than some of the stuff that's coming out now, which relies so much on technical you know, effects and things like that. So the, the kind of films that Will is doing is, is it's a really a whole it's a whole new industry starting, and yet funnily enough it's going back to the way the industry started, especially in England and probably here, which was a group of, of like-minded, talented people getting together and making small films for a market was eagerly sitting out there waiting for some good material yeah. to watch. And so the film's going to open at the flicks right. after the debut. Right. And, and so, do you have it in any other theaters besides the flicks? We do. Um, right now, sort of the approach that we're doing is we've got our big Egyptian debut. The right. following day, we actually open up at the Parma Drive-In. That's the first place where oh. we're going to be. And we're there for two weeks. As have you been of, out there? As part of the double feature. I, yeah, I've, I love the Parma Drive-In. I know it. <laughs> it's, a great, it's a great theater. It so is. We're there for two weeks as part of the double feature that um, Karen does out there. And uh, then on the Friday, we open up at the Flicks and uh, at, in, I think, seven other theaters that day as well. Um, and all these theaters have promised me right now a one-week run. We have good enough numbers, they'll give me a second week. And then starting July 10th, we've kind of got a series of second-run theaters lined up to then take us beyond that. You know, Emmett, uh, Overland Park, up, up northern Idaho, Hayden, um, 
you know, I'm still trying to lock down the Spud drive-in over in Driggs, but you know, we've also got some <laughs> places up in Grangeville and Idaho Falls sure. that we're playing at. Um, and you know, the idea being, once we get through this first month run, we're going to take it out of state. And the reason why we've done so well with our bookings in Idaho is that it's an Idaho film, which those don't come along very often. No. Um, so for me, this, you know, they know that that's a marketable thing for folks coming to the theater. Here's a film made in Idaho. And, and it's, it's PG. PG. So is it... And it's charming. It's charming. charming. I think it's charming. And so it's not, <clears throat> it's not going to challenge traditional conservative Idaho values. It's right. Just, oh, no. Um, no. No, no. And you know, once we finish this month, we're, we're going to have numbers in the book. We're going to have gross numbers that are trackable, mm -hmm. audience reviews and opinions, so mm -hmm. that when I go to Oregon or to Washington or to Colorado and take the same approach where I'm contacting independent theaters to put the film in, you know, as opposed to them banking on it being an Idaho production, a local right. production, it's like, no, well, here, here's, here's the track record for it so far. And eventually we want to grow that as much as we can so that when we go to market in the fall, we've got a sellable entity to really... And it is a market for young people, which is really important, and older people. Because That's interesting. there is the interaction between yeah. the young and the old on a, on a great level, on a terrific level. So it's not superficial that you have old people over here... And young people exactly. over here and their lives no, don't... No, no. Don't, they, don't, they in, you know, we're all the same people, regardless of the age, and we all have the same needs, desires, and, and some of us have got a bit more experience than some of others, <laughs> but it all works, and that, that's one of the things I loved about the film and the script. Yeah, the lead character uh, works in a retirement home, and so that's... This is Ralph? Ralph, yeah, so that's how the, you know, that interaction is, is facilitated to the extent that it is, that he's there every day interacting and living with these people. And, um... But Ralph wants more. Ralph isn't sure if he wants more. Ralph is told that he should want more. And uh, that's sort of you know, the big crux in a lot of this, is that he's sort of at that point where he's trying to figure it out, as you know, we all do at some point. And you know, there's the side of him that is you know, more or less happy with what he's doing, but then there's that dissatisfaction of all the voices around him telling him, no, that's not good enough, you should be reaching for more. And it's when he finally starts listening to those voices that, you know, the, the real conflict becomes introduced. It starts to go wrong. <laughs> like it does for many, so many people in life. You've got to have this. Have all these material things. You've got to have this. It just came out. Buy that. You know, spend your money here. Keep up with the Joneses. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's all about people. We're people, you know, and our relationships and how we interact. Yeah. And that's what's fun in life, I think. So, as I was doing a little bit of research, I found out that, you know, as a first-time filmmaker, occasionally, you, we need more of this and less of this, mm -hmm. what did, and so you had to make kind of decisions on the fly, but then also, you know, this is your first time doing it, and then you were going to hurt some feelings by doing, like, making some decisions. You always hurt feelings in this business. This, my middle name is Jane Rejection Merrow. <laughs> I mean, that, that's what you have to be. You have to be re ready to be rejected in the business. Once you've even got a part, you can, it may not be there anymore. Yeah, I'd say, it, and a lot of it does come back to the way the film was funded, that I'm held very responsible to the people that have you know, put me in this position. You know, I want... I didn't work this hard to make one movie. I'm right. working this hard to make a hundred movies, and it's all dependent on if I can kick back and the overall success. And uh, I was having this conversation with someone because we were in the process of changing these locations and canceling days and telling actors, like, we're not going to be using your scenes anymore before we'd shot them, and people were getting upset. 
And some crew members were just thinking, you know, you're burning bridges and you're going to be really pissing people off. And I said, you know, at the end of the day, these decisions have to be made because I can't in good faith, once all said and done, go to my investors, go to the people that helped get this thing made, the rest of the crew, and say, look, guys, I'm sorry. I could have made a better film, but I didn't because I was afraid I was going to hurt people's feelings. Yeah. Can I jump in again with another story? We've got time for this. Oh, yeah, you bet. When I saw The Lion in Winter for the first time, I was actually really disappointed for myself because my best scene was cut. Uh. It wasn't cut out, it was cut down. But what it did cut in that when it was when that it cut O'Toole's best speech in the film out completely. I mean, it was a film about him killing his sons and everything else, and it was. It was a, a masterclass in acting. It was superb. And it was, it was just ended up on the cutting room floor completely. And O'Toole went berserk. But I mean, did he went it? around, you know, he went knock, banging on the door of the director at, at, at night saying, put the effing thing back in. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, he just... So you have to be prepared for the good of the story yeah. because they felt it was slowing the film down at the wrong moment. You have to do what is right for the film, not what is right because you're going to upset someone. And he was very upset. I mean, really upset. And he could have won an Oscar because if they'd left that scene in. But that's part of this. You know, you're part of a whole. And that's the wonderful thing about filmmaking. But you have to be prepared that the things that you hope are going to be in there as an actor, or they won't be. Or they're going to be different. Or you're going to look different. You know, and, and you have to make that decision as a director and as a producer if you're going to be responsible to the story and the integrity of the story and indeed to your investors. You know, there's no point in making a piece of, you know, film to please everybody else and you never can sell it. What does that mean? So then is the hope to find a traditional distributor? Eventually, yes. Yeah. Yeah, and that's sort of what, you know, and again, that whole model of, getting a buyer, attracting a buyer is, is dead. The old model where everyone says, I'm going to make a film, I'm going to go to festivals, right. someone's going to buy it. Yeah. That's not the case. And there's big films that are finding that out. Um, what we do in The Shadows, the uh, Jermaine Clements film about vampires, the vampire mockumentary, you know, they played at Sundance and they had big names in it, big production value. And uh, they weren't happy with the offers they attracted. And so they said, what we're going to do is we're going to take the summer, we're going to take this on our own, we're going to self-distribute it for a while, build our assets, build our audience, show that this thing can stand on its own two feet, plus give it the opportunity to have a life that a film should on, on a big screen, and then we're going to go back and you know see what other offers there are after that. And so that's sort of the approach I'm doing. We're doing a tandem run with festivals. I will be submitting to some festivals, but um, I just think it's, it's very ignorant to assume that the model of I'm just going to make it and release it into the world and someone's going to find it and buy it. Isn't that the old actor's daydream? I'm going to be discovered one day right. if I and can just... I'm just going to sit there and somebody will find no. Right. There's just too much out there right now. And yeah. it's great because filmmaking has become so accessible to everyone, but, um, you know... How, how are you going to stand it's out? It's like sifting, you know, when you're doing searching for gold, you're, you're panning yeah. all the time for, for, for the gold. So, um, yeah, I think through our, our summer run, we're going to do a, a lot of great things as far as building those assets and uh, getting an audience following, um, you know, maybe hitting a point where we can be close to breaking even on the budget. So do you have... 
I mean, so your mind is fully in business mode right now, and but you mentioned that that you're you're thinking about the next thing that this thing is going to be get the next thing right. So the the money that you the surplus creates the the next endeavor. Correct. Uh, Are you there mentally, or is that I, so far? I around can't the... wait for that <laughs> to be the case. Um, but do you have like a story or I do. ideas? I do actually. Yeah. Um, I mean, th there's a few I've been kicking around, but the one I think I'm going to develop um, is a completely original. Is there idea. a problem in it? We could probably find one for you. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I have to break in here now, guys. I had some audio issues toward the end of this, and I'm unable to share the rest. I will say, the film does look charming, and I'm excited for the premiere. What a delight it was to have Will and Jane over, and I look forward to a follow-up interview. Until then, check out the Almosting It trailer, which I'll link to, and check out their Facebook page, facebook.com slash almostingit. Tickets for the premiere event, which happens June 24th at 6.30 p.m., hosted by Larry Gebert, and the proceeds of which benefit Make-A-Wish Idaho, can be purchased at almostingit.brownpapertickets.com. And of course, this was 42 Minutes, a production of SyncBook Radio and the SyncBook.com. If you enjoyed this and would like more, consider becoming a SyncBook Plus member. Some of the membership benefits include full access to the complete audio archive, Discounts on books, behind-the-scenes scripts, bonus audio and video, as well as monthly online hangouts with the hosts. All this and more can be found at thesyncbook.com slash membership. Thanks so much, and I'm proud of you, Ralphie. You're really pulling things together.
Take his throne 